This is the word of the Lord. Now the Lord appeared to him, that is Abraham, by the oaks of Mamre, while he was sitting at the tent door in the heat of the day. When he lifted up his eyes and looked, behold, three men were standing opposite him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth. And he said, Lord, if now I have found favor in your sight, please do not pass your servant by. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will bring a piece of bread that you may refresh yourselves. After that, you may go on since you have visited your servant. And they said, so do as you have said. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said quickly, prepare three measures of fine flour, knead it and make it and make bread cakes. Abraham also ran to the herd and took a tender and choice calf and gave it to the servant and he hurried to prepare it. And he took curds and milk and the calf which he had prepared and placed it before them. And he was standing by them under the tree as they ate. Then they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, there in the tent, he said, I will surely return to you at this time next year. And behold, Sarah, your wife will have a son. And Sarah will, was listening at the tent door, which was behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. Sarah was past childbearing. Sarah laughed to herself, saying, after I have been become old, shall I have pleasure? My Lord being old also. And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Saying, shall I indeed bear a child when I am so old? Is there anything too difficult for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you at this time next year. And Sarah will have a son. Sarah denied it, however, saying, I did not laugh. for she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Father, we come before you in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and in the strength and power of your Holy Spirit. And we ask now, Lord, that as we consider these, your word, Lord, that you would give to us hearts that believe, hearts that are not laughing at the promise of God, but hearts that are rejoicing in faith at the wonderful promise of God. We pray that our minds would be conformed not to our own understanding and not to that which we can see and to that which to our mind's eye makes sense. But that, Lord, our minds would be conformed to your word and that we would be unashamedly convinced that what God has said he will perform. Lord, I decrease now so that you may increase, be glorified in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. When last we gathered to consider the book of Genesis, we examined the remaining verses of the 17th chapter. The Lord God further revealed the covenant he was making with Abraham As he commanded Abraham to walk before him and be blameless. He also commanded Abraham to be circumcised and to circumcise all males in his household as old as eight days old. The Lord God declared that Abraham would be the father of a multitude of nations and changed his name 
as a constant reminder of God's covenant promise. He also further revealed that Sarah, Abraham's wife, would no longer be called Sarai, but now Sarah, the princess, for she would bear a son and would be the mother of nations. Abraham had a very interesting response to the promise of God. Chapter 17, verse 17. Then Abraham, remember this, fell on his face and laughed. And he said in his heart, will a child be born to a man 100 years old? And will Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Interesting, when we look at the scriptures, Abraham does not say, and will my wife Sarai? But as soon as God says to him, your wife will now be called Sarah, he immediately says, will Sarah? As evidence that he believes the promise of God. The response of Abraham was to laugh. Not out of doubt. Not out of doubt and not out of disbelief, but out of absolute joy and amazement at the sound of the promises of God. And from this, we concluded that we too must learn the wonder of rejoicing at the promises of God. The Lord in his grace and mercy has provided precious promises for all of his children. No, no matter what difficulty we may face in this life. And there is no doubt that the greatest promise that God has provided for us is the promise of forgiveness and salvation that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And to that, there is no end to our rejoicing. When Abraham received this command from the Lord to be circumcised, we learn that he did not ponder obedience or, or weigh out his options, but rather he immediately, as the scriptures tells us twice, that day obeyed the command of God. That day, that very day. And from this we learned that the true measure of one's faith is not found in many words, but the true measure of one's faith is found in many acts of obedience. Not many words of faith. But a declaration of faith that is evidenced by many acts of obedience. And lest I did not make this clear last week. Our acts of obedience are not the cause of our salvation. They are the product of our salvation. The Lord Jesus Christ in his doing, dying, and rising is the cause of our salvation. The present work of the Holy Spirit is also uh, producing fruit in the lives of his people, wherein our acts of obedience are the evidence that we have been saved by Christ. The ordained means through which God produces fruit in the lives of his people are the means of grace that we attend to each Lord's Day Sabbath. It is as we obey the command to gather with the saints on the Lord's day, to sit under the preached word on the Lord's day, to pray with the saints on the Lord's day, to partake of the Lord's supper and baptism, that we are sanctified by God for his glory. Abraham and Sarah would bear a child in one year's time. But that child, whose name would be laughter, Isaac, ultimately pointed to the seed, the promised seed of Genesis chapter 3.15, who would crush the serpent's head and reverse the curse of Adam. And that is no other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And now today, with the Lord's help, we shall consider the first half 
of the book of Genesis or the chapter, 18th chapter of the book of Genesis with three points. Number one, appearance, invitation, and preparation. Number one, appearance, invitation, and preparation. This is verses one through eight. As this chapter opens, I would like to immediately point out to you that this chapter is somewhat different from the chapters that have come before it. In that, in the previous chapters, we have large gaps of time between chapters. Remember, I've mentioned that before. For example, between chapters 18 or chapter 12 and 15, there is a time lapse of about 11 years. Between chapter 16 and chapter 17, there is a time lapse of about 13 years. The 18th chapter is different in that the time lapse between chapter 17 and chapter 18 is potentially a matter of days, maybe even weeks, not months and not years. Up until this time, we've had time lapses of, of years. And now between the 17th and 18th chapter, there is just a matter of days, maybe even weeks. The chapter opens in a very unique way, does it not? The chapter opens with the Lord, the Lord appearing to Abraham at the time of day when the heat of the sun burns the hottest, when Abraham would would most likely be doing all of his work in the morning and then resting during the hottest part of the day and then going back to work at sunset. So Abraham is during what they call a, a siesta. He is resting during a time of day. He is taking refuge near his tent and seemingly Seemingly out of nowhere, Abraham, maybe in his sleep or maybe in his rest, lifts up his eyes and standing before him, across from him, as it were, were three men. It was almost like, oh, who are these three men? Where have they come from? Why did they come? There have been many who have speculated, and I'll say speculated unnecessarily, over the identity of these three men. Some have said this appearance of these three men is actually the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the triune God who has come to visit Abraham. Others have said this is an appearance of a pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. And others have other speculations. And brothers and sisters, there is no need for us to speculate because the scriptures are clear. We have been told from the very beginning that the Lord appeared to Abraham. It is the Lord. Now, who are the other two? The other two are not the other two persons of the Trinity. Rather, they are angels. Angels in the guise of humans. Angels who are attending the Lord. As the story goes on, it will become clear that the Lord remains with Abraham while the other two angels... They will go on, they will travel on, and they will travel on to the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. As they are going to destroy the city as they have been commanded by God. But sisters, we today have the great privilege of reading the account of Abraham and all of the scriptures. But Abraham did not have the book of Genesis to explain to him and interpret for him what the meaning of these men are and was. We have a great privilege, do we not? 
So as these men approach, we can safely assume that Abraham has absolutely no knowledge of who these men were at first. He would soon learn who they were. But Abraham is resting. And in the midst of his rest, he he seems to wake up and there they are. Now, Abraham knows they have apparently showed up out of nowhere. That is to be clear. We also can can assume that Abraham, by their very appearance, recognized that there was something different about these three men. Which caused him to, uh, maybe it was their appearance. Maybe it was their habit or their mannerism. But there was something that caused Abraham to jump up and to quickly honor these men as if they were men to be honored. Now, briefly, to the question of why did they appear to Abraham... The answer is really uh, fourfold, because in this 18th chapter, if you were to see it as a a scene, right, there there is really four scenes to this chapter. There are four parts to this chapter. This morning, we are only going to deal with the first two. But as these scenes are uh, acted out, if you will, the reason why the Lord has appeared will become even more clear But in each of those scenes, there is a purpose for which God is there. We'll talk more about that as we progress in this sermon. But let us first acknowledge that it is the Lord who has come down. Abraham has not gone to the Lord. Pause. The Lord has gone to Abraham. And this is the pattern of God throughout all of the scriptures and even to us here today. We do not go to God. God comes to us. And it is the pattern of God in the life of Abraham from the time that he was called by God. Who first called Abraham to leave? Did Abraham say, yeah, think about, I'm thinking of leaving this land. I'm just not happy here any longer. No, it was God who first said to Abraham, who was perfectly fine in this paganism, leave your country and kindred. To this point now in chapter 18, when Abraham is just simply resting near the, the oaks of memory, when the Lord God comes to Abraham. As Abraham sees these men, he does not wait for for them to to come, for they are standing at a distance, and by their very presence, they are drawing him near. He stand, they are standing there, and Abraham is drawn to greet them. He comes to them, and he shows that he is ready to serve, and he does so by, by bowing low to the ground, saying, my Lord, If I have found favor in your sight, that is to say, sir, he does not know yet that this is the Lord. But the scriptures do point out that there is something unique because in your Bible, you may see, hopefully if it if it does the right thing, that your and Lord and your again is capitalized. They they are pointing out that there is something unique. He is the Lord. Abraham addressed the one, not the all as Lord. And your scriptures may have emphasized, again, that that capital. But maybe because of his dress, maybe because of his, the Lord's, countenance, and maybe because the others were not speaking, or maybe even by their very action or their demeanor, they were taking uh, a step back and deferring to the one Lord. Abraham recognized that this one was the greatest and most to be honored. This man, Abraham, the leader of the Hebrew nation, is now here face down. In the dirt, declaring that it would be a great honor if he could allow these three travelers the privilege of serving them as they travel on their journey. 
From that moment, we have this remarkable picture now of Abraham running here and there to all of the tents, calling his servants to action. First, he, and I don't know how many of you wives would appreciate this, but Sarah is most likely in her tent resting as well. Abraham runs into the tent. Sarah, get up, make some bread and not just a slice, not just a cake. He says, Sarah, get up, make three measures. Your Bible may say three seahs. Make three measures or seahs of bread. Make them into cakes. A measure is 18 liters. Or this would have amounted to 18 liters, which would have altogether been about five gallons of flour. That's no small amount of bread. This is no hostess cupcake, right? He then runs from the tent as Sarah is getting up and now preparing a great amount of bread. The Bible says he runs, uh, Abraham runs to his flock. And Abraham chooses a tender and choice calf. And then calls one of his servants to prepare that tender and choice. Do you know how big a calf is? It's not a Pomeranian dog. It's not a Chihuahua. It is a big creature. A calf. Prepare that calf for three men. Abraham hurried then and prepared curds, which is kind of like yogurt. He prepared uh, to, to offset the savoriness of the calf. He prepares this yogurt and this milk, and then he places them, these items, before these men as they are all done. It would take a while to prepare these things. But he places all that has been done before the men, and then he stands at a distance as they eat, as if he was the waiter, just waiting for them to say, uh, excuse me, and he would be right there to serve. This man was 99 years old. Imagine the hospitality of this 99-year-old man. I'm 38, and I don't want you knocking on my door. <laughs> I will close. I will shut off all the TVs and the lights, and we're not here. No one's here. <laughs> this man jumps up, <laughs> runs so that he might show hospitality to these three visitors. So that he might not only show hospitality, but he also might show the heart of this man and the faith of this man. The point is, Abraham is characterized in this beginning of the chapter by a hospitable heart. He is willing to put his entire household into no end of trouble. To give these three visitors the best that can be laid before them. This is true hospitality. We might say that if we knew that the Lord was coming to our house for dinner, then we may do the very same thing. Of course I would do that if I knew God was coming. We would give to him our very best. We would make sure that everything is put away. All of our, all of our sinful things are hidden and locked away, right? My dad used to say that when the pastor would come over to their house, that they would all hide the TV because they came from a very um, Pentecostal background where no TV was allowed, that they would put a blanket over the TV and hide all of the music. But I believe that this is the point. Abraham did not know the Lord was coming. He had no idea that this was, not only first that this was the Lord, And secondly, that the Lord was even coming. 
We know that this was the Lord, but it, it does not appear until the verse eight, until verses eight and nine that Abraham begins to realize that the person he is dining for, the person he has been serving is actually the Lord. I wonder if you've ever heard this verse and wondered its meaning. Hebrews 13 two. listen to what it says. Do not neglect to show hospitality for strangers. Listen to the rest of it. For by this, some have entertained angels without knowing it. It is believed that the writer of the Hebrews was commenting on Abraham's encounter with the Lord and these two angels. For some, who was he speaking of? Well, at least Abraham, as we know, entertained angels unaware. The thing that is vital for us to grasp is not only that he entertained the Lord and angels unaware. But this is a general principle that is characterized by the whole of his life. And it is this, it is this. In everything that he, Abraham, did, he would do it as if it were done in the presence of the Lord. In everything he did, he would act as if the Lord was always before him. And when he did so, he grew strong in faith. He obeyed the command to walk blameless before the Lord. And as he obeyed the command, he grew strong in his faith, giving glory to God, the Bible says. It was Abraham with a transplanted heart, with a heart of flesh, who sought in all that he did to give glory to God through obedience. And it was as he obeyed God, he he grew strong in his faith. You may be asking or even watching television to say, how can I grow strong in faith? How can my faith grow stronger? Maybe I should order this oil. That would get me stronger. Maybe I should order a piece of the of a splinter from the cross of Jesus. Maybe that will get me stronger faith. Maybe if I ordered that blessing towel that the pastor is praying over, he'll send it to me. I'll put it all over my face and then I'll have faith. That is wickedness. That is magic that does not exist. How does our faith grow? Is it not through absolute, unashamed, undivided devotion and desire in all things to give glory to God through obeying his word? Is it not through a true, though imperfect, Though imperfect, but yet sincere, desire to look to God, to look to his word, to see what he has commanded and to, by the power and strength of his spirit, obey all that he has said. For when you obey, you show you believe. Our automatic rebuttal is, Well, if I don't obey, does that mean I'm going to hell? Or our automatic uh, response is, if I don't obey, are you teaching some kind of works-based law that I must be saved only by obedience? No, that's not the point. And the person who asked that missed the point. What has God said? Do you and I desire to keep what he said or not? When we do, our faith will grow. 
And we shall be like a tree that is firmly planted by the streams of water, which yields fruit in its season. The Bible says whose leaf does not wither nor die. Do we live like that? Imperfectly. Yes, I know. But ask yourself this and let me ask myself the same question. How often do we ask before we act? Lord, does this please you? How often do we ask before we act? Am I acting? Am I thinking? Am I speaking? Am I praying? And am I giving glory to you by what I am about to do? Is this your word? Is our prayer, Lord, my heart's desire is that you might receive in all things that I do much glory in my life. And is our question, and now, Lord, is the pace of my life such that you are receiving much glory in all that I do? Or am I walking according to the beat of my own drum? Do I do what I want to do and I don't care what anybody has to say about it? Last week we made the, the silly example. And I still have not perfected hash browns. Of here is God's word, but I will do what I want to do. Abraham's practice of hospitality was one single illustration of this glorious fact that he brought blessing to other people's lives just as God said he would do because in everything he did, he sought to bring glory to God. And the New Testament picks up on this uh, Corinthians or Colossians 3.17 and whatever you do, there's a lot that fits into whatever you do, isn't there? Isn't there? Whatever you do. Whatever you do, think about that. In whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God through him or 1 Corinthians 10.31. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God and pause and ask yourself this. Am I doing whatever I do? To and for the glory of God. Because this is a command. It's not a suggestion. Am I doing it all for the glory of God? When I drive to work, is my drive for the glory of God? Is my work for the glory of God? And this is all of us. We all fail. We all are imperfect. And thank God for the grace of God. It may seem like a, a very simple point, but it is something that we must ask the Lord. Help me to at least be more mindful of this. We are going to fail, but we can at least ask the Lord. Help me to be more mindful of this. That what we actually uh, that that what we speak to. And what we speak of. That what we think of. That what we act upon, that how we serve and how we live be all be done to the glory of God. As if God's eyes were, and they are, physically, literally before us. If the believer lived as if God surrounded every action that we were engaged in, our walk of faith and obedience would become altogether different from the lives that surround us in this world. 
And it's not an incidental matter. It is one of the principles by which the Lord Jesus Christ says he will judge his people. What does he say? He says, in so much as you have done to the least of these. You do unto me. You do unto me. Abraham, by faith, took hold of this principle and did all things for the pleasure and glory of God. Therefore, even when he was not aware of the absolute presence of God, listen, he could live without shame. Even when he was unaware of the God's presence, he could live without shame or embarrassment because he treated those three visitors as if the Lord was present with him, as if the Lord was among him. And Abraham's secret, if we could call it a secret, was this. He was ready for the day of the Lord's visitation. He was ready for God whenever he showed up. He lived his life for the glory of God every single day. He lived not only enacted for the glory of God, but discovered the true pleasure of living in such a way. It is not just uh, living just to live, but it is living for the glory of God. And when we do, there is much pleasure in that. And the simple question is this. What about you? Are you ready for the day of the Lord's visitation? You may say that's ridiculous. What a ridiculous question. That the Lord would, would, would ever visit me the way he visited Abraham. That would never happen, would it not? Is not the Lord present with you now? As the word of God is being delivered into your ears. And are you ready for it? Is he not present with you and us as we corporately pray? Is he not with you when you fellowship with him at his table at the Lord's Supper? Is he not with you when you are baptized and when we practice church discipline? Is not the Lord with us? Indeed, he is and he has promised to be. But our problem is that we do not see with eyes of faith. We are only so moved by what makes sense to us. By what makes sense to the natural man. And in doing so, we fail to receive the promises of God that are received by faith. I implore you, brothers and sisters, live by faith and not by sight. The one who lives by faith, who glorifies God in obedience to his word, by faith will grow strong in their faith. And like Abraham, they will not waver. Number two. Conversation and conviction. This is really kind of scene two. Conversation and conviction. This is verses 9 through 15. As the three visitors enjoy the food that was prepared for them by Abraham, Abraham again stands at a distance as a waiter, ready to serve and assist in any kind of way. When he has asked a very shocking question. A question. I don't know if you've ever been asked a question that, that sends shockwaves through your body. But Abraham has asked a question that, that I believe would have sent shockwaves through his body, as it were. Here's the question in verse 9. Then they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? 
Shockwaves? How does that question send shockwaves through the body of Abraham? We are not given insight into Abraham's facial expression. Uh, if you were, if it were a cartoon, I can imagine his mouth falling to the floor and eyes opening uh, extremely wide. And when this question was asked, we are not told that there was a delay in his response, although the, the Bible as it reads just keeps going, right? The question must have been startling and also revealing at the same time. Why? 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 These three men have appeared out of nowhere. They have have had no prior dealings, no prior, as far as we know, relationship with Abraham. And yet, they, and it is more likely the one who was asking the Lord, knows more about Abraham than Abraham realizes. Where is your wife, Sarah? (laughs) Maybe they heard Abraham say, quick, Sarah. Make this. No. The one who Abraham has just met reveals that he has more knowledge of Abraham than Abraham has of his own self. How could these men know the the name of the new name of his wife, Sarah? Abraham was beginning to realize that these visitors are more than just honored travelers. Abraham responds. They're in the tent. Most likely, according to Near East tradition, the woman would be in a separate tent away from the men, but close enough to be called upon if there needed to be service. Sarah was in the tent next to the place where the men dined. So they are in a tent and she is behind the tent, a flap, if you will. There, there is a, a large tent. Don't think of camping tents. Think of large tents. And she is in the large tent in a tent behind the tent. Close enough to where she could walk in. The level of Abraham's wonder must have increased. Not just that the man knows his wife's name, but when the man says, the one says, the Lord says, I will return to you next time this year. And behold, Sarah, your wife will have a son. If his mouth was on the floor, now his whole body, I'm I'm assuming, was on the floor before God. Slow down when you read. See the progression of this visitation and conversation. Abraham is all of a sudden resting. Three men are standing before him. He knows that they are to be honored. He makes a great feast. The day elapses and he realizes this is not just a man. This is the Lord. He knows my wife and he knows the promise of God. No. He is the one who has given me that promise. He is God. He alone gave the promise to Abraham. And now we said at the outset of this sermon, it was only a matter of days or weeks that that God said, my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear at this time next season. During the meal, the Lord has once again confirmed this covenant with Abraham. So this meal could rightly be described as a covenant meal between the Lord and Abraham. Imagine. The progressive wonder and amazement that Abraham must have experienced. Some of you, uh, hopefully during this Christmas, will have a progressive wonder in the gifts that you receive. You receive something small and then greater and then greater until all of a sudden you are floored by, wow, I cannot believe this. Imagine the, the exponential growth 
of Abraham's faith through that covenantal meal initiated by the Lord. You just see his faith just growing and growing and being in more wonder and awe. But again, this chapter is divided. Because God did come to strengthen Abraham's faith, to share in a covenantal meal with Abraham. But I do believe that there is more to this appearance of the Lord than just a covenantal meal. I do believe that the Lord has come and the meal has also been prepared and the conversation is also being had for the woman who was standing at the back of the tent. What do we mean? Verse 10. Sarah was listening at the tent door, which was behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. Sarah was past childbearing. Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I become old, shall I have the pleasure and my Lord being also or being old also? Brothers and sisters, we are not sure how long Abraham and Sarah were married, but we can be sure that it was longer than 25 years. But that's the time frame between chapter 12 and chapter 18. Sarah has been with Abraham, presumably, for longer than 25 years. As a loving wife, she submitted to the lead, his lead, and in spite of the obvious challenge of going with her husband and following him wherever he believed the Lord God was leaving, if you can imagine, wives, not having a Bible... Not having God's revealed word and your husband saying we're going here because God said so. How do you know? I just know. We're going to go now here because God said so. How do you know? I just know. That would not work in America, at least in the 21st century. Wives are not as submissive. Quickly moving on. Except for my wife. Of course. At this point, does the fact that she was married to Abraham automatically mean that her faith in God was the same as Abraham's faith in God? No, it doesn't. Just because your husband is saved doesn't mean you're saved. Just because your wife is saved doesn't mean you're saved. And kids, just because your parents are saved, as I learned uh, when I was growing up, doesn't mean that I was saved. We might assume that she was a believer because she has been, and for the most part, has been silently present in the life of Abraham. But have you noticed thus far, when she's been given the stage, when it's her time, she has so far displayed the actions of an unbeliever rather than a believer. You notice that? Let's take a few steps back. Chapter 12, the Lord promised Abraham that he would have a child. In that same chapter, Sarah agreed to lie and say that she was the sister of Abraham. And it was the Lord who revealed that she was Abraham's wife. It was not Sarah who said, wait a minute, wait a minute, king of Egypt. I'm married, actually. The Lord intervened. That was her first. Here's the stage, Sarah. She did not behave as a helping, uh, a good helpmate, but was an accomplice to sin. 
placing the promise of God and the seed of the woman in great jeopardy. The next time we see her in chapter 16, knowing that God has promised Abraham that through uh, through confirmation of a covenant, covenant ceremony, that uh, an heir would come from Abraham's own body. And Sarah is not seeing the fulfillment of the promise. And so Sarah suggests, Abraham, sleep with my maidservant because the promise of God is not going to happen. At least not to me. And now, in this 18th chapter, as she eavesdrops on the conversation, she once again hears the promise. It's not the first time she's heard it. Here's the promise that a son will be born to Abraham and she will be the one to bring forth the child. And what was her response? She laughed. She not only laughed at the promise of God, she mocked the promise of God. Now, this may seem strange. Last week, we saw that Abraham also laughed. And when he did, we celebrated his laughter as an expression of absolute joy and amazement at the promise of God. But how do we know that Abraham's laughter was one of joy? Here it is. Abraham believed in faith or obeyed in faith, right? He circumcised. So what's the difference between these two laughters? I believe the difference was that first and foremost, one came from a true believer and the other one came from an unbeliever. The Lord has come so that he might confront and convict Sarah's unbelief. That's why he's that's another reason why he's come. He's come to confront her unbelief, which she's had all this time. And to convict her of her unbelief. All this time she has been, as it were, for 25 years, laughing in her heart at the promise of God, which in effect means that she has ultimately been laughing at God. How do we know? Sarah begins to explain the reasons why she's mocking God with her laughter. After I have become old, shall I have pleasure? And she's speaking of really the, the giving birth as if she were a young woman. Shall I have the pleasure of a young woman to give birth? And my Lord also, who is Abraham, he's an old man. What could he possibly do? How will this old man who's even older than I bring forth a child? Rubbish, she believes. Foolishness. Ridiculous, I don't believe. And therein lies the, the reason. I'm going to slow down. Therein lies the reason for the promised child's delay. Why is it taking 25 years? Abraham's body is obviously still working. Because someone in this equation doesn't believe. Was it the divine providence of God that this delay happened? Yes, it was. Was it the preordained purpose and plan of God? Yes, it was. Listen to this now. Did Sarah's lack of belief have anything to do with God's delay of the promise? Yes. Isn't that a contradiction? Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. Though Sarah lived in Abraham's house, though she had seen the wondrous acts of God in the life of Abraham, building a nation, she was yet unmoved and unconvinced 
until as she stood there with her ear, if you can imagine, pressed against the tent door, she did not hear any more words, but she heard as she stood there a question. Now, if you can imagine, Sarah has her ear to the tent and as she's listening, she hears the promise of God and her response is to laugh at herself. She doesn't say it out loud. She's laughing to herself. You know, we've all done that. No one can hear but you. No one knows what you said but you. She's at the door. And she does not hear anything except, why did Sarah laugh? If you can imagine, Abraham is, is sitting in the tent. He's probably stunned by saying, he's sitting with a three. Sarah's not in the room. And he's looking at the Lord and maybe unaware or even confused at the question. What do you mean? Why did Sarah laugh? What do you, I didn't hear her laugh. What, where is Sarah? She, I know she's back here. But, and Sarah, whose ear was at the tent, is now backing up, if you can imagine. In amazement. Her, her ear now removed, stepping back in absolute shock. She finally learns what Hagar learned in chapter 16. That the Lord not only sees all, but the Lord knows all. Even the thoughts of our own hearts and minds. He does not only know the external actions of man, but he knows the internal thoughts of man. There is nothing hidden from God that will not be laid bare before him. And Sarah's in shock. No one heard her laugh but herself. No one knew what she had said but herself. She did not speak aloud, but she said these things again to herself. And, and the Lord says, I will. Why did she laugh? What did he say? He said. <clears throat> saying. He said, why did Sarah laugh, saying, shall I indeed bear a child? He knew exactly what she said. When I am so old. Sarah's in shock. She stands there dumbfounded, embarrassed, exposed. The Bible describes her, describes her as afraid. And the, 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 the question, if you can imagine, in two separate tents, the question from the Lord in this tent to Sarah, who was in the tent behind him, is this. Sarah, is there anything too hard for the Lord? Capital L-O-R-D. And she denied it. I did not laugh. She sang this from the other tent. I did not laugh. But the Lord said to her, which she could have heard, no. But you did laugh. Oh, yes, you did. Sarah in the other tent. And who knows if she fell on her knees? Who knows if she began to weep? Who knows what her response was because the Bible quickly shifts to the next scene. But she has been confronted. Finally. After all of these years, she may have had arguments with her husband over whether or not how this will happen. But she has finally been confronted, not by Abraham, but by the Lord God himself. She has finally been found out. Her sin has finally been revealed. Her lie reveals that laughter was a laughter of sin and unbelief. Because God calls her on it. No, you're laughing because you don't believe. Her sin of, dis of disbelief has finally been brought before her eyes. And the only one who could uncover that sin was Yahweh himself. The Lord God Almighty. Why has he come? It would appear as though, yes, he's come to, to sup. To have supper with his friend Abraham. To confirm his covenant with this meal. To see uh, judgment executed upon the wicked. But my dear brothers and sisters, it was also to bring a woman at the age of 90 years old from darkness of unbelief 
to the light of faith as he exposed her sin and called her to believe in the promised seed who would bless the nations. And it is amazing that though her husband be known as the father of faith, the friend of God, his wife up until this moment was an enemy of God, opposing the promises of God with doubt and disbelief, displayed by her mocking. And that at that moment came to an end because she saw that if he could open up my mind and see what's in there, he could open up my womb and bring life. Let us take great care to note this woman's life. What was in Sarah's heart was eventually exposed by God. You can't play the game forever. You will be found out, maybe not by us, but you will stand before God one day. And everything hidden will be revealed. Though she be present through all the stages of Abraham's life, in her heart she was laughing the whole time. Now, what about some of us? Do some of us come week after week, and upon hearing the promises of God, the word of God, spoken, I believe, faithfully each week, do we walk away laughing in disbelief? Though some have been here and continue to be here through the present different stages of this church, yet some will stand and continue to laugh and doubt the promises of God. Part of the reason why we see so little change in the lives of people in this church and its members is potentially, and also even potential members, it's because although we receive rich word from God, Lord's Day Sabbath after Lord's Day Sabbath, in some of our hearts, we do not take God's word seriously. We're here for worship. I showed up, yes. But are you prepping your heart before God with prayer? The prayer that says, Lord, I am here. I'm here. It was hard for me to make it. There was a lot of other things that I could have been doing, but I'm here because I believe I'm obeying your command to worship with the saints. Now, Lord, that as I am here, break down every barrier of doubt and unbelief in my heart. I believe, Lord, help my unbelief that I may trust you entirely in what you have said. Transform me. Teach me to long for you. And sadly, some find that their deepest trouble when God's word is brought to bear upon our lives is this pounding question. Why does what was just said make so little difference to me? Why don't I seem to care one bit? And not wrestle with the question. But conclude, eh, whatever will be, will be. My mom used to say, say la vie. How could you say that? Let me ask you a few questions. After the word of God has been preached, are you sharing it with anybody? As Pastor Zay, who uh, myself included, and all of us, when we visit a restaurant whose food is astronomical, astounding, first thing we do is we want to share how good it was. 
Are you sharing with anyone that you love? Do you speak about God's word when you rise and when you lie down? Do you say, I've heard better? Oh, that was too long. Gosh, he speaks so fast. Too many big words. Or I just don't agree. No. Some of us, we need to confess that we too are laughing. And that's why we have not seen growth in our faith or change in our lives. Because we're laughing at God's promises. Because of our sinful unbelief. Abraham is standing in contrast to his beloved wife. Yes, he laughed in chapter 17. And she's laughing in chapter 18. But the difference is one is a believer and one is not. One believes and one does not. He stood before God. He stands before the gaze of God until every fiber of disbelief was slayed within him. Until every ounce of laughter, the laughter of disbelief was removed from him. What is the cure for this heart of disbelief? It's being confronted with this question from the creator, which is our third and final point. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? What's the cure to our laughing of unbelief? It is answering this question and being confronted with it. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Number three. She's heard the covenantal promises. She's laughed to herself. She believes that she is not seen and she is not heard until she realizes she is both seen and she is heard by the one who is spokesman and leader asking the piercing question that reinforces the covenant promises. Is there anything too difficult for the Lord at the appointed time? I will return to you next year. And Sarah, you will. You will have a son. Sarah attempts to hide her sin, but she's once again found out standing in the tent, hiding, exposed Not only embarrassed, but afraid. And afraid because her sin has been revealed. And it is the pollution of man. It is our being polluted by sin that causes us to hide when we are, our sin is found out. Whether it be fig leaves, whether it be outright lying, or whether it be pointing the finger at someone else. Our pattern is to always avoid accepting responsibility for our sin. Sarah is finally confronted and she's confronted with the cure to her laughing and disbelief. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? It is the Lord himself, Yahweh, who asked the question. The one who is worshipped by her husband. It is the Lord, the one who called her husband out of paganism to faith. It is the Lord, the one who read her heart and mine. The one who has heard her laughter when she believed it was only her her who heard it. And he wants to know this. He asked Sarah, and he's asking you this morning. You think I can't do this? The one who has called the universe into existence by the very word of his mouth. You think I can't do this? The one who has said, let there be light and there was light. You think I can't do this? The one who made the heavens 
and the earth in six days. Is there anything too hard for him? And the Lord will use this question as a means to draw this woman to himself. As he holds out the promise of the seed who will bless the nations before her, he's exposing her heart and mind saying, believe this. I know what you've thought. She's now confronted with the fact again that he can open her womb because he's opened her mind. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? There are more difficult things that God has accomplished. That's the point. This is nothing. You think I can't do this? This is nothing. From the very first chapter of Genesis to the very last chapter of, of Revelation, the Lord declares, there is nothing too hard for the Lord. Think about it. God has given you and me a promise And is the promise that he's given to us more difficult than the promise he's given to to Abraham and Sarah? Those of us who are wrestling with doubt and disbelief, compare what you're believing God for to what Abraham and Sarah were believing God and ask, is what I'm believing God for more difficult than what they were believing God for? The answer is no. And God was asking Sarah at the time that he asked this difficult question or she saw this great, uh, complex problem. He's saying, is there anything harder than what, is there anything harder than what you're asking for, hoping for, that I haven't done even greater things? If this promise of bringing a child from a dead body of Abraham and a dead womb of Sarah was not too difficult for the Lord, then what is it that you are believing God for? According to his word, of course. Not your Ferraris and not your mansions. According to his word, of course. That God cannot do. He has promised that in Abraham a seed would come and bless the nations. And listen, that promise has cost God the blood of his own son. Was it difficult? Yes. But was it too difficult that God could keep it? No. And if that promise was kept, then all of the unbelief in our hearts should bow before this great question. Is there anything too difficult for the Lord? Is there anything? Again, a twofold statement. It's drawing out the person. It's drawing the person to him. It's also drawing out a question. Answer the question. Right? You who are, are, are wrestling with doubt, here's the question. Is there anything to offer the Lord? Well, what, what are you going to say? Yes. The Lord is, is, is calling Abraham to, or, or Sarah to say, no, there's not. There actually is not. When Job was complaining to God, God re, re, uh, reveals himself in the whirlwind and he asks a series of questions. And here, here is one of them. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the world? Drawing Job to to answer the question. Stand up like a man, he says. I'm going to ask you a question. Where were you? It's a means of instruction as well. Because you have now learned. No, there in fact is nothing that is more difficult, too difficult for the Lord. Brothers and sisters, bring something to God that will confuse him. Ask. 
ask God a question that will perplex him. You and I may be perplexed and confused, but he's not. You and I may be searching for answers. He's not. He's Jehovah God. His name signifies self-existence. God does not exist because of his surroundings. He draws nothing from without. His life is within him. He derives no support or aid from anyone or anything. Indeed, there is nothing which has not come from God. All things were made by him, for him, to him, for his glory. He sustains all things by the power of his word. He decrees it and it is done. He borrows from no one. He is God and there is no one besides him. Dear one, do the obstacles in your life seem difficult? Is your soul wearied and troubled? Do you see no light in darkness? Where are you looking for a solution? Where are you trying to find the answer? Sarah was looking for a solution to the obstacles that lie before her in the orbit of her own abilities and gifts. But God said the answer to that question does not come in what you or I are able to do to move forward the promises of God. No, sir. But the answer is in the faithfulness, the power, and the omniscience of God who has given those promises. There's very something, there's something very sinister about the response of the word of God. That laughter. And what's the cure? There's a heart that is laid before God on an altar, if you will. That ask what David asked, search me. See if there be any wicked way in me. If God's word is not changing us in the way that we know it should be changing us, at least in this church, it's not God's word that's the problem. It's not the preacher, especially not in this church. That's the problem. It's us. And we must be confronted with our faith from this great question. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? No. You want to grow in your faith? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? You want your husband or your wife to come to faith? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? You want your children to grow and believe? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? But is he just going to say, I'll do it. You don't got to do nothing. You have responsibility. Husbands and wives, you want your your husbands and wives to believe? Bring them the gospel. That is the God-ordained means through which God saves sinners. Parents, you want your children to grow in faith? Disciple them. Evangelize them and then disciple them to faith. It's the God-ordained means through which God saves people. We are not without responsibility. I say that as a true blue Calvinist. Think about your life. Think about your own lostness and sin. Think about the great depth of sin that you and I were entrenched in. Think about the absolute darkness that you and I wandered in. Think about the stench of death that you and I carried, that you and I were trapped in. 
You remember? And God brought you out of that. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? With this question, the Lord was drawing Sarah in so that she might know what it is to trust the Lord. At this time next year, you will have a son. But first, 90-year-old woman, I need to take that heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I believe that the only right way to conclude this sermon is to ask the question again. The question that was asked to Sarah. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? And the answer from heaven is no. Not one thing. Let's pray.